Thanks to Twist for sponsoring today's episode of Does Not Compute. Twist cuts through the disorganization and stress of other group chat apps to help keep team communication organized and transparent. The makers of the wildly popular Todoist app created Twist as a new approach to team communication designed to help you stay focused on what really matters and avoid distractions. Twist helps you keep team conversations organized and on topic, so your team can easily refer back to any topic in its original context, even years later. Twist intentionally gets rid of stressful unread counts, read receipts, and online indicators to promote asynchronous, mindful communication over immediate knee-jerk responses. It works great for fully distributed teams, too. Doist, the team behind Twist, is fully remote, with 62 people in 27 countries. Check out twistapp.com to learn more about how Twist is different and how it can help your team communicate more effectively. Our thanks to Doist and Twist for supporting the show, and make sure to visit twistapp.com today. It's been a crazy two weeks because I'm here in California now, and you're back where I was. Yeah, we switched coasts. Yeah. Yeah, I'm now, I'm in New York. We're in Rochester right now. Yeah, it's kind of weird because I wake up and I'm used to you not having been around and doing things, and then so I wake up and then you fire off like a status, like screenshots and stuff, and I'm like, what? When did you do that? And then I'm like, oh yeah, you've been awake for a while and I haven't. (laughs) It's kind of- um, Right. Yeah, it's kind of surreal. It's nice. I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's a little bit disorienting, but it's good. It's good. It's good. But yeah, everyone here on the West Coast seems like they're in a huge uh, hurry. I was telling you earlier that everything is loud, and I'm staying in an Airbnb here, and it's right on the corner. And it's not a highway or anything. I mean, San Clemente's not a big a big town. Uh, and everyone's just slamming on their gas. All I hear is just engines uh, just revving up. And there's no reason. I don't, I don't think there's a reason that everyone should just be slamming on their gas all the time, but they're doing it right at this corner. So when I'm working here, I've been working to a st- walking to a Starbucks and I found a Pete's actually with a hundred megabytes uh, down internet, which I'm very happy about. But when I'm here, all I hear is just people slamming on the gas all day long. They're in a real hurry. I'm in a real hurry to, to get back to the West coast. This has been, we've, so we've been on the road for almost three months now and it's just, just now June. <laughs> And it's it's very warm. It's very warm in New York. It feels like the South. Honestly, it kind of feels like Miami to me right now. It's it's warm and wet everywhere. Yeah, moist. The air is moist, and you get wet just by going outside. Yeah, and I've never I, I've traveled very very little before this trip, and so it's uh it's been very enlightening. It it's amazing how nice the West Coast is. What a what an incredible place. Oh, the FedEx person's in a hurry for sure. They're just slamming on the gas pedal. Um, yeah, that's my experience with the Midwest, with the South, and with the Northeast. It's just hot, and it gets muggy, and mosquitoes are everywhere. So everywhere except to the West. <laughs> yes, in my experience, oh, man. That's, how, that's how it is. It's just part of life, I guess. I don't know. It's just how it is. But it's here. It's nice here, because you were talking about how, how warm you were earlier, and I was like, I'm kind of cold, actually. I was, uh, I, so, so we'll talk about this later, but I got this, this cool battery that you purchased vicariously through me. And, uh, so now I can, I feel like I can sit outside and work and not have to worry about my docker killing my battery. Um, and, uh, yes, I was sitting outside earlier, kind of, kind of cold because there was a nice ocean breeze on me. Oh man, I could, I, what I would do for an ocean breeze right now. 
Oh, mm. a nice ocean breeze, a cool ocean breeze. It was it was pretty pretty amazing. It feels good. It just feels good to have no humidity in the air. I don't know what it is. And I like the feeling of walking down the street and being like hot cold where part of you is hot and part of you is cold at the same time. That doesn't really happen in the Northeast for me. Uh, that's something that I missed a lot that I didn't think that I missed. Interesting. Hot, cold. I, I think I, I think I get what you're saying. The, the dry air is just, it's amazing. I, I, I grew up my whole life in California. And so I just, I never, it was never something I even thought about, but now having been gone for a while, it's like, wow, that is, that is incredible air that they've got. Right. So you can be standing in a field and you're going to be real hot, but then you go and stand in the shade, you're all, you're still going to be real hot because of the humidity. Whereas here I'm hot, cold because half of me is in the sun and I'm walking away from it. But if I were to turn around, it would be the opposite, right? Uh, the other side would be hot. And I see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the heat's coming directly from the sun. But where you are, where it's humid, you can go stand under that shade and still feel hot, still feel warm. Yeah, we're in the shade right now. And it's not even it's not even that hot out. It's like 75 degrees, but it feels it feels like 90. What would ZK? ZK would ask what the dew point was, I think, is what he was after. The dew point, <laughs> yep. <laughs> What's the dew point? It's got to be a real, real high dew point. It's got to be a high one. Yeah. I'm just, I think I left. So the week that you were staying with me was like beautiful. It was like a West Coast week in the South, in the Northeast. And uh, I think like yeah. two days before I left, it was starting to get hot. And I was like, this is miserable. And so I just got out of there just in time. Yeah. The day, the day before you left for the airport, we drove up to Burlington mm-hmm. and it, it rained and it was just, even when it wasn't raining, it kind of felt like the air was just wet yep. and that's kind of what it's been like since so you really did have perfect timing yeah i got the heck out of there not before i got eaten by those mosquitoes though so i still have uh some scratching because the mosquitoes got me at the campground but yeah i didn't just get out I, I did get out just in time all right so tell me about this this battery because i'd been eyeballing this thing for a while um and and it's pretty awesome so it's actually got USB power delivery. So you're running your laptop off of it pretty much every day now, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Yep. USB-C uh, power delivery. And so I just have in that that fancy new backpack I got, I just leave it in a little slot. So all I do is uh, I take the USB-C cord off of my MacBook charger because it's it's nice and long. And I, I uh, leave the battery in my backpack. And so there's just a little light cord coming out of my backpack and it plugs into my computer. And then I can, I can camp out at Starbucks for an extra, how long my my battery lasts? I don't know, three and a half hours, four hours or something like that. They can't kick me out because I'm not using the power. They try to kick me out. I'd be like, listen, <laughs> I'll use my phone. I don't care. I'm going to sit at this table. But it's nice. It's, it's really incredible that you can charge your laptop now off of a little tiny battery that you can just carry around in your backpack. Like, it's pretty small. It's lighter than my water bottle. Right, right. Yeah, it's lighter than my 1,000 milliliter bottle. Man, that's, that's such an amazing thing. It uh, It just sits in a little pouch. And it'll charge my laptop completely up all the way fully. And I think it'll have a little juice left over so I can charge my phone or my watch or something like that if I need to. And uh, yeah, it's just it's just solid metal, which makes me feel good about it. And the fact that it's USB-C, it's pretty nice. So I can just plug it straight into my computer without any weird adapters or anything like that. So it just works out great. And it wasn't really that expensive. It was like 100 bucks, I think, right? Yeah, I think it's like 100, 120, somewhere in that range. Uh, well, obviously, we'll have a link to it in show notes. Um, but uh, but that's that's awesome. That's work, working out so well for you. What's really cool about that to me is now you can just get a small solar panel and you could run your laptop basically indefinitely, completely off-grid. Right. That's Yeah, so I started Googling for that a little bit 
and I haven't committed to anything. It just, I guess it depends. Like I don't necessarily want to carry around a giant one. So like goal zero makes one that folds into a briefcase that would for sure charge my stuff. I guess I just don't know enough about it to know how big of a panel I need and how, like, I don't know if that's obnoxious if I rolled a Starbucks and then like open a briefcase full of solar panels and put it down. <laughs> That'd be pretty funny. Well, it wouldn't be any worse than that guy you saw with a, his desktop computer ordering pizzas in a Starbucks. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. In Hanover, no less. I and mean, you've been to Hanover now. It's pretty pinky up, right? And uh, uh, you went and got some gelato that I'm always harping about there. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect somebody to have... <laughs> I, it's not what I would expect there, no. No, it's not. And, yeah. Especially the pizza delivery. A couple of, a couple of pan pizzas for seven bucks. Seven bucks a piece is what they used to be. And yeah, so he was just in there. I used to know a guy who would walk around with an iMac. So he lived in his car and he had his iMac in his trunk. It, like he had the box and everything for it. So he would put this thing in the in the, in the the box for the iMac every day, walk to the coffee, coffee shop. He would take his iMac and put it up on the standing bar and uh, he would plug it in and make music on an iMac. That's incredible. I mean, if you're going to use a desktop computer in that way, an iMac's not a bad choice. Sure. I mean, he made, it was good music. It's a power, power cable and then a wireless keyboard and mouse, right? Yeah. He'd like, he would go and DJ and stuff and he made good music. Uh, that's actually how I found out about the program Reason. He showed me that the first time. And he, he was the first person to tell me about Nine Inch Nails too. So it was like back in the day. Uh, I was like, I don't know, 16 or 17 maybe. Yeah. Anyway, so he, he would just carry an iMac around and he told me that his brother ripped it off from some store. I don't know if that's true because I don't know how you would do that, but that's, he said that's how he got it. He just like left-handed it, just walked out with it. Nobody mind me. This is my iMac. Good Lord. That's what he's saying. I don't know. I was just like, okay, well, show me all this program you got here. Uh, very skeuomorphic design if you've never seen a reason. Uh, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. But I mean, I guess it's like, why does it matter what I care? You know, like what other people care if I have a solar panel? I'm trying to be, um, I'm trying to be green over here. I'm trying to help the planet in any way that I can. That's one of my big goals, actually, when I, when I figure out where I want to move and sell down is... At the very least, I want to figure out how to uh, completely power my work setup off of solar power. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're we still haven't plugged into charge since the last time I said this, uh, which I don't. It's been over two months, probably about two and a half months at this point since we plugged in, and we've been we've been entirely solar charging all of our gadgets and running our fridge and everything off of off of solar, which has been um, it just feels nice. It's it's just great, it, and not even just for. Uh, ecology reasons right not just for the environment it, it it just feels really nice to have that independence yeah to not be reliant on somebody else for something that is that is really really important to you and electricity i mean being able to power my stuff this is how i make a living right mm. and and having having that be entirely under my control is is a fantastic feeling R yeah that's yeah that's kind of how i feel about it too is that i'm at liberty or you know most of us are at the liberty of somebody else but it's just a small thing it doesn't you know it's it's funny because People, I guess, think in such absolute terms like, oh, to make a difference, you have to be completely off the grid or your house have, has to be like completely solar powered or something like that. Well, it's not, not necessarily the case. If I'm on my computer 20 hours a day, you know, seven days a week, if I can, if I can put that into a renewable energy source, it's something, you know, it's not nothing. And it's a start. One of the coolest things I heard you say, I don't even think you said it to me. I think you said it to, yeah, because you met Sensei and he came and hang out, he hung out with us in Burlington. And uh, we were talking, you guys were talking, I was just kind of sitting at the table about um, just solar stuff and how you said uh, the van is a start. So you're starting small and you're working up to something larger, which I think is very smart because that's kind of what you have to do in 
in most situations, unless you have a lot of capital and you can just afford to make your house solar in one, one kind of swoop, it makes sense to start small. You can make a, a van solar powered. That's a, that's a pretty good start. Yeah. And it's like th- this, there was still a lot of expense in making something even this size fully solar powered, but it, it's certainly a lot less risk and a lot less expense than like you say, a, a full house or a full, like going completely off grid right away. That would be, that would be a big ask and it would be a lot of risk because I'm doing this all myself. Like I'm doing all my own research. I'm doing all of my own installation and wiring and all that. And I'm not uh, – I know about that stuff because I've read about it for, for a while and and I've been interested in electronics and have done a lot of electronics projects over the years. But like I have no no training or no no like real education in any of this stuff. And so it, for me in particular, it's very important to do it in a in a safe and segmented way. Uh, just one one step at a time. See and and seeing what works and what doesn't, and where I need to make changes and where I need to improve, and what what's great from the go. Yeah, it's. I mean, we obviously always seg back to segue back to technology and programming, but that's exactly how you approach something in in an engineering job, right? So if I know eventually we want to we want to embrace Docker or Kubernetes or whatever, it doesn't make sense to throw the full application that we have and just throw it in there. You know, if we have no experience, if we have no knowledge on it, it makes sense to slowly ramp up to it, do small things here and there until you get to the big picture and you have some experience and expertise on it. Yeah, testing things out and learning, still diving into new stuff, still checking out new technologies, still trying new things out, but but really tempering how you do it and making sure that you're doing it in a sensible way, in a safe way, in a responsible way. And I, I mean, that, that kind of sounds silly when you're talking about, you know, tech decisions, I guess. But I, I, that's that's kind of how I try to look at it, how I try to look at everything is like, is this is this a responsible thing to do? Is this is this a good way to do this um, or or am I being rash? And I probably look at a lot of things this way because I have, I have kind of made a lot of rash decisions in the past, and and now I'm now I I just find it much more, much better in the long run to really take the time to evaluate things. No, and I feel like I'm I'm sort of gaining, I'm sort of benefiting from your experience there too. So we've kind of like naturally been our priorities in Design Collective have been naturally drifting into different areas. I mean, so we're both kind of like working on new features at the same time, but you've been focusing a lot on product things and I've been focusing more on platform things. That was maybe the best way I could think to describe it uh, to to our non-technical um, co-workers. And it, I think that's part of why you make such a good product person is because you think more along those lines than I do. Uh, you, you somehow, well, not somehow, you have a really good handle on the big picture almost at all times. Even when you're talking about nitty gritty things in the back of your mind, you're able to keep that context of the big picture. Whereas I kind of lose that sometimes. And I don't know if it's because for a year and almost a year and a half, it was just me with a bunch of non-technical people and I just had to do everything that I could. So if it was a band, like I didn't have time to really fix things. I only had time to bandaid things If that. That's kind of sounds weird to say, cause it's not a great, um, way to work but that's just the time that i had right uh i don't know if that's what's causing it but it's not a great way to work but it's just the reality of the situation you were in i think like we, we've talked about this several times now but it, i think it's really really important doing any sort of large technical thing on your own is just really difficult bordering on impossible i feel like uh, you you really need multiple people just because there's so much context and so many things to consider around 
around a product, both on the on the product side, on the user facing side. How does how does this change affect our users and our customers and all, all that? But also on the technical side, there there's so many things that need to be need to be figured out. Stuff like like we're talking about moving infrastructure, uh, Docker, Kubernetes, uh, over from Heroku, that sort of thing, or the Nuxt migration that we're currently in the middle of, moving over to a single page app backed entirely by an API. Those are those are really big things that are that are super important. But so is the product stuff. It's both very important, and it's really really difficult to focus in any meaningful way on both of those at once. I think. Yeah, it, it is really difficult, but that's it's been nice because we kind of have this natural separation there where so I had to I was explaining it to Lindsay and just explaining like I think that some of our priorities not like as a company but as a team are shifting a little bit uh, and the best way I could think to explain it was I tend to focus more on the blacksmith side of things and you to focus attend more on the carpentry side of things so what I mean by that is uh, the blacksmith make they make the tools. They they focus on quality of tools and quality of options that a carpenter has access to. And the carpenter focuses on building the house, but they use the tools the blacksmith makes. And it seems like naturally we kind of not like always across the board hundred percent, but naturally we kind of gravitate towards those things. Like I noticed that when I'm assigning my things my myself cards from Trello, that's what I usually end up looking for. And I've noticed that when you start adding stuff or sending uh, stuff to you from Trello, you naturally kind of gravitate towards, gravitate towards that direction anyway. So it's been really good. And what's really I'm excited. So you mentioned this Nuxt thing. That's kind of like buried into a couple of other features we want to launch. And we kind of like have to be on Nuxt to do it well, to not have to do like in a, do it in a hacky way. <laughs> And so that's what I was selling to Lin, like saying Lindsay, like I was like, if we're gonna do these other features that you really want to do, this this API backend split is something that we've been talking about for a while. We just need to get that done. Like that has to happen in order to do the the stuff that you want to do well. And she said, okay, let's do it. And so for the next month, I'm focusing on like not really tooling, but I'm focusing on behind the scenes API things, and you're focusing on user facing uh, uh, customer things. Yeah, so this is going to be a, a huge month. Uh, it's going to be a sprint, but I think a good one. I hope a good one. So we're, we're doing that. We're getting fully over to Nuxt, and I'm going to be kind of in there helping to do what I can as well. So that's good. that's going to be kind of like a team effort thing, but that's a that's a big one. It's like with something like that, it's not just recreate all the pages. It's it's also like figure out how your authentication works now. Because we're using sessions before, is that going to work okay? Do we need to switch over to being JWT? What are all the things around this? It, it's a it's a huge huge thing. It's not just recreate the pages, uh, and then on top of that, we're also doing a big change to how to all of all the store pages. Everything that that users see when they're browsing a store on Design Collective is getting a, a pretty major facelift and several new features. Like uh, they're getting, they'll have the ability to post, have blog posts and add portfolio pieces and all, all sorts of stuff. Like it's a, it's a, it's a major change. Uh, and it, it's a big feature. It's very important for us, but in order to do some of the cool stuff we want to do there, we do have to be switched over to Nux, like you're saying. And that that's, that's a perfect example of that, of that blacksmith carpenter analogy. It's like, you need the, you, the tools have to be there in order for them to be used to create, cooler stuff on top but if the if the underlying architecture isn't there if the underlying tools aren't what we need then we won't be able to make the beautiful house that we want yeah yeah and really like if what when i was thinking about it before i, I thought about like approaching you say hey what do you think about this this idea of 
like not like a role switch, but like uh, a focus kind of thing between us. Uh, and before I was talking to Lindsay, I was really thinking about is like, does this even matter? Is it just me being a little bit overwhelmed with having to build the tools and do the carpentry at the same time? Uh, and really what it comes down to is I feel like I can do a better job focusing on supporting you and so if you're leading out a certain area that I think that you're better at me anyways that means that I can really focus on an area and then that means that me being most productive is helping you be most productive and that feels like something that I can realistically achieve I think what's really nice about that whole idea is that it also makes these big technical changes a lot easier to sell to the non-technical folks so like you were saying now we have a very clear – we can't really do this feature until this thing is complete, this technical thing is complete. And, and by framing it in terms of features instead of like th – there are a lot of other kind of less directly tangible benefits to switching over to Nux like faster deploy times and just just you know better developer ergonomics, et cetera, et cetera. Like there are, there are a lot of awesome things that come along with that, but those are really terrible ways to sell Nux, to sell a single-page app to – a non-technical CEO that just that's doesn't that can't work and by by having kind of the split where we can say okay we need this for the following user facing customer facing money making things it it instantly becomes it becomes a no brainer it's like well yeah of course then we have to get that we have to get to a single page app yeah and and all of the all of the technical benefits are still there for us which is awesome but it's really just a matter of of being able to or articulate that in a way that makes sense to the business side. Yeah, 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 it does. I think we also are in a good position because our, our non-technical CEO is somehow surprisingly able to grok technical things, uh, gets the general idea and it makes sense. Uh, that's always been mm -hmm. surprising, like not surprising, but it's always been uh, amazing to me that I'll explain something. She's like, got it. And then she'll remember it three months later and bring it up. Like, uh, surprisingly like detailed conversations that we had. And I was like, Whoa, where'd that come from? You know, I think it's because she reads GitHub logs. She reads our automated GitHub <laughs> trail. <laughs> um, but yeah, like that's a really good point. Like being able to sell it like that, it really like you, if to able to sell it, you have to be able to communicate on their terms and it has to mean that they get something that's meaningful to them out of it. In this case, it's some really cool features, which we'll talk about once they're live because, we're not giving anything away over here, over here, but uh, it, it that's how it was. I was like, "All right, you want to do that? Then we need to do this." And she's like, "Got it. Sounds good. How long is it going to take? A month? Okay, sounds good." You know, so yeah, that's kind of how I sold Elixir. Uh, I was like, "Okay, well, things are getting a little bit expensive. We don't really have that much traffic right now, but things it's going to be either I spend a a lot a lot of time fixing things." Uh, re-engineering a lot of things that were already done or B, I move us to an ecosystem that's fundamental. Like at the, at the, at its core, it uses less resources at its core. It performs better. And then from there I work on fixing things. And, and so for them, the tangible benefits where things are faster because in the afternoons when traffic would come and things would slow down. So I would spend a lot of time just like going over serializers, for example, because the original MVP was like really rough. So I was like, okay, well, I could do that, or we could give me two months, and I could I could redo this, and we'll we'll be on a better solid footing. 
and I sold it and, and even just saying, Hey, this is going to be faster. This is going to cost less money. I think, which was the most important thing, honestly, that I could hit on. And that experiment that I talked about a long time ago, I think that's what really helped quantify the results for them. So when I said, okay, well, we have 7,000 products. And if I list those out in rails, it takes this long. If I list it out in Elixir, it takes this long. She was like, holy crap, let's do it. And it was like, magnitudes faster. And I was like, this is just on my dev machine. This will translate to hundreds hundreds of dollars a month, year over year, you know? So that like quantified it to them that they're like, this is, this makes sense to do it. But you're right. It has to be, it always has to come back to something that means something in somebody else's domain. Yep. Yeah. The, the best, the best tool for developers is still a really, really hard sell unless it does something else for the rest of the business. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's not to say that you that there's no such thing as, as like a developer tool that can be useful. Obviously, if you're saving developers time, that is directly saving money. So there, there is always that angle. But I, but I think when you can, when you can present something in a way where it's like, here, here are the actual benefits that customers will get, or that maybe even better that you will get in your job by having your job be easier. But I need some time to make this happen. That's a way easier sell than I need some time to make this thing happen that will make my job way easier. Yes, that's a really good way to put it, especially using the word my there. Oh, man, it's hot in Rochester. I'm wearing a jacket or down jacket right now. and I'm inside. Oh my god! Well, to be fair, the last time I was in Rochester, it was like ten below zero. So yeah, it was it was interesting. We're driving over here, like melting, and we must have driven by like fifteen snowmobile crossing signs, which I'd never seen before. But uh, yeah, it's it's hard to imagine at this time of year. I played a very many years ago. I played. It was like a conference or something. There they have. Uh, it's like a hotel conference center downtown. And I played there, and that was the last time I think I was in Rochester, and it was it was freezing. Oh man! And yeah, well, I think we've got a big, big month ahead of us, Sean. So we should probably get back to it. I got some API endpoints to to make. <laughs> All right, sounds good. I'll talk to you later. See ya. Thanks again to Twist for their support of Does Not Compute. Twist helps teams cut through the mess and stress of other group chat apps, keeping team communication organized and transparent. It's designed to promote asynchronous, thoughtful communication over immediate knee-jerk responses and works wonders for distributed teams. Visit twistapp.com today to learn more about how Twist can help your team communicate. Mm-hmm.